Welcome to the Dinner Party Download. This is your icebreaker. There's this guy, he's driving down the road, he's got 17 penguins in the back of his car. The cop sees him, the cop stops him, and he's like, I don't know, uh, I don't know what's going on here, but you gotta take these penguins to the zoo. And the guy says, okay. Next day, same guy's driving, he's got the same 17 penguins in the back of his car. Same cop is in the speed trap, he stops him again. He says, look man, I stopped you yesterday. I told you to take these penguins to the zoo. Guy's like, I took him to the zoo, today we're going to the beach. I'm Brendan Francis Noonan. I'm Rico Galliano, and from 89.3 KPCC in Los Angeles, this is the Dinner Party Download, the show that helps you win your next dinner party. You may have recognized this week's icebreaker. It's from psych rocker Ezra Feinberg of the band Cite. He told us that joke back in September. And believe it or not, we figured that's the best joke we had on the show all year. We promised to do better in 2009. Oh, I hope. But meanwhile, for the rest of this episode, we're going to look back on some of our favorite bits from 2008, including our interview with Hollywood icon Robert Wagner. But first, as with any dinner party... We start off with small talk. So normally, this is the part of the show where we zip around the American public media offices and speak with reporters from Marketplace and KPCC about the one story that they thought was really cool this week. Now, this segment has actually evolved. It used to be just Brendan and I talking yes. about whatever was cool this Which week. Which I thought was fun. Yeah, but then I realized that we could get other people to think of what was interesting for us. Nice. Pretty sweet. Uh, <laughs> this time around, instead of talking to them about this week, though, we went back, pulled some cuts, and now bring you the year in small talk. What's the one story you're going to be talking about at your dinner party this weekend? John McCain's houses. Yesterday, two reporters asked him, how many houses do you own? He said, I'm not sure I'll have my staff get back to you. My story of the week is there is a bar owner in Chicago drawing crowds with a portrait of Sarah Palin that he painted. In the portrait, she is wearing her trademark hairdo, holding an automatic rifle, and standing naked on a polar bear skin rug. So we knew this huge kosher meatpacking plant in Iowa shut down. They weren't being very kosher to their workers, right? Exactly. So there was already a kosher beef shortage, but now kosher turkeys are double the price this year. This plan accounted for like 40% of kosher turkeys. <laughs> it just occurred to me that a kosher turkey could protect itself from slaughter by covering itself with cheese. <laughs> I don't know if that's good. Harris Entertainment, it's like the biggest casino company in the world. The credit crisis has got so bad that they used to serve sort of big hearty sandwiches in the uh, in the VIP lounge, but now all they're getting is bruschetta and hummus. United Health Group is going to start offering insurance to cover health insurance. So it's insurance insurance? Yes, it is, actually. So if you're... Are you sure that's not being offered by Little Caesars? <laughs> well, I know people are going to be asking me about the auto bailout. The big three heading down to Washington trying to ask for $34 billion dollars the first time they flew down in their, you know, corporate jets, right? And they got a lot of flack for that. This time, they drove down in their hybrid vehicles, and yet still, nobody's happy. I mean, do they want them to ski down or to run or bike down? I think they just want them to make their own money. Chrysler announced that you will soon be able to receive Wi-Fi in some of their 2009 models. But let's be realistic here. This is Chrysler 2009 models. So what does that mean? Like two three people are going to have these and they're going to be able to IM each other? LOL, I'm driving off the road into a tree. OMG, I just bought a Chrysler product. China is going to become a democracy. I think you were referring to Chinese democracy, the new Guns N' Roses album, which is finally coming out. 
China's not becoming a democracy? No, it's a Guns N' Roses album. Well, who cares about that? And now, it's time for cocktails. This is the part of the show where we tell you about something that happened this week in history and then give you a fitting drink to serve along with it. It's our history lesson with booze. And uh, it's probably no secret that this is one of my favorite segments on the program (laughs) because I think it's really cool because we unearthed some really fascinating history and we've met bartenders from all over the country and they're pretty smart. Many of these guys really know their history to the point where like last week we were doing a Civil War segment and a bartender in D.C. actually told me I had the dates wrong, and he was correct. Well, Rico, maybe that's not too surprising, because he's the one person at the bar who's not working tirelessly to forget everything. <laughs> <laughs> but, but our favorite history cocktail pairing was back in August. It was the 50th anniversary of Vladimir Nabokov's book, Lolita. Americans are prudes. Europeans are progressive, right? Not when it came to Lolita. The book was first published in Paris, and it was the British who pitched a fit. A London newspaper called it the filthiest book of the year. England seized all imports of it and asked France to ban it too. In 1956, they did. Americans got their first look at Lolita two years later. By then, Elvis had debuted his swiveling hips on TV. Compared to that, the book was vanilla. Authorities didn't bat an eyelash. It sold 100,000 copies in three weeks. It also added a new word to the American lexicon, nymphit. Nymphit, Mr. Nabokov. Is this going to be your monument? Do you feel that you've accomplished <laughs> It something? is a very small uh, monument, but it is pleasant to have. America didn't keep its mind open for long. In 1962, Stanley Kubrick directed his film version of Lolita. To avoid U.S. censorship, he shot it in England. So that's the history. Now for the booze to serve along with it. I'm speaking with Danielle Motor. She is talking to me from behind the bar at the fabulous Hungry Cat in Hollywood, California. And Danielle, serendipitously, I was in your bar the other night and you had created a special drink called the Lolita Haze, correct? That's right. So how did the book inspire the drink? Um, I was rereading Lolita and I came across a beautiful description of Humpert the main character eating a plum, and the way he described it made me want to taste one, and I uh, decided to make a cocktail with it. So it's Humbert who was eating the plum? Yeah, just before he met Lolita. Ah, so it is, it is the moment before falling into sin. Exactly. All right, and what's the actual alcohol component? Ginevra. That's a Dutch gin, right? Yeah, young Dutch gin. I see a young Dutch gin. Yeah, so that was kind of the key word. <laughs> um, so what, how is this thing made? So you take a plum, half a plum per drink, Muddle it with some mint, squeeze about half a lemon, three-quarter ounce of simple syrup and young gin. Shake it and serve it over ice, and that's it. It comes out really nice, I think. We should probably note that lest anyone get ideas, like all alcoholic beverages, the Lolita Haze cannot legally be served to anyone underage. That's right. That's just one of our history lessons with booze. We have 11 other ones, if you have the stamina, at our website, dinnerpartydownload.com. And you'll have an excuse to drink a Lolita Haze again in 2009, because Nabokov's previously unpublished novel, Laura, is supposed to finally be published. And this brings us to the portion of our show we like to call the Guest of Honor, because it's where we talk to a guest. 
who is honorable. And we've talked to a lot of really cool guests this year. They haven't always acted honorably. For example, when I spoke with David Carr of the New York Times. And he threatened to kick your ass. And he threatened to kick my ass. I, I obviously still haven't forgotten that. But there's no question, I think, that the best guest of honor this year was your talk with Lord Wagner. Yes, Robert Wagner, Lord of Stage and Screen. <laughs> let's, let's listen to the interview, and then I will tell you a story about it when it's over. Okay. Our guest of honor this week is Robert Wagner, a man whose list of credits... Thanks for the drum roll. A man whose list of credits is way too long to get through in a 10-minute show, but suffice to say, he has a new memoir out called Pieces of My Heart, in which he talks about starring in the classic film noir Kiss Before Dying, uh, the classic 80s detective show Heart to Heart, and uh, the part I'm most jealous about, you co-starred in the Pink Panther movies. I was in the original Pink Panther. And the interesting thing about the Panther is Blake Edwards always wanted to have Peter Sellers. And the studio wanted to have Peter Ustinov. He got the script and he said, you know, there's a lot of improvisation and I don't know whether it's really right for me. Blake said, I don't think it is either. And Peter Sellers came in and to see Blake and Peter have that character evolve, that was one of the most exciting experiences I've ever had. I like the fact that you get to say Peter referring to Peter Sellers. Yes. What is it like to live a life where you can refer to Peter Sellers at, by his you first the, name? The, you know the one that people say to me all the time, they say, did you call Lawrence Olivier Larry? I say, yes, because he didn't like to be called Lord and Sir Lawrence Olivier and all that. That He put that all away, you know. See, if I was, if I had a title, I would demand that people use it all the time. Absolutely. If I was a, a Lord, I'd have them call me Lord RJ or something, you know. Lord Wagner. Lord, exactly. Lord Wagner. Your liege. <laughs> You know, that kind of thing. Well, my liege, we always ask two questions on the show. The first is, and this is, I'm very excited to ask you because you've been interviewed, I'm guessing, between twelve and 18,000 times. What is the question that you are most tired of being asked? Do you know, I'm getting tired of being asked about politics. What, what do they hope to gain from you about politics? You want me to make some kind of a statement of who I'm for, what do I think? And I, I, just, I just get bored with that, you know? I just, uh, I get bored with the same rhetoric. It's the same rhetoric all the time anyway, so. Well, let me ask you this. I don't know, normally ask this. What, what's the question you wish people would ask you that they don't? They don't realize sometimes what I really like. You know, I had a ranch and I was raising cattle. and This is when? About 15 years ago. I was raising these Brahma cows and they're wonderful, wonderful creatures. You'd see them walking along, and they'd stop, and they'd have a calf. And in 30 seconds, this calf is up on its four legs and walking along. I mean, it's miraculous, you know, wonderful, wonderful thing to be around. And I, I happen to like the way that they smell. I love the smell of cattle, so I'm, I'm hooked, you know. Well, our second question is usually tell us something about yourself that no one at our dinner party is going to know, but I think you just did. Thanks. You're welcome. So Robert Wagner talking about cows, right? It's Radio Gold, then. <laughs> and this is why it's in the best of episode. <laughs> but what you can't see is that about halfway through interviewing him, uh -huh. he spilled a little bit of coffee on his tie. From that moment on, I don't think he was listening to me at all. <laughs> and in fact, at one point, he actually dipped his handkerchief in my water glass and started cleaning the, the stain. You know, I think there's something to learn from that. So basically, if I have bad news to tell my girlfriend, I should spill coffee on her? Yes, <laughs> if she's Robert Wagner. That's Madam RJ to you. So that was our favorite guest of honor. Now we move on to our favorite main course, the part of the show where we learn about food. 
because it's main course. I Get love it? that pun. We did learn a lot this year, though. Remember, we went, out, we found out what sushi was okay to eat. Yes. We found out how to head fake wine snobs. We learned that you hate cupcakes and want to destroy them. <laughs> That's true. But I think the most fun actually was your conversation with Chris Cosentino. He is head chef at Encanto in San Francisco and one of the nation's leading purveyors of what is called offal. And I actually started the interview with him by asking him what that was. Offal cuts are the what would be considered viscera or waste. Hang on one second. Manny, shut up. I'm on the radio. Sorry. <laughs> My God. <laughs> okay, well, I left that in there because it's telling. You know, we all know that chefs are pretty intense people, and Chris Cosentino is a pretty intense guy. In fact, he's so intense that he told me that in his free time, he does ultra-marathon mountain biking. <laughs> he mountain when, bikes for 100 miles. When he's not serving 100 people <laughs> in, like, the fast-paced atmosphere of a restaurant. He's a pretty intense guy, but he really knows what he's talking about. You can hear it in the rest of this interview. Offal cuts, the exact translation means to off-fall from the carcass. When they would split an animal, the eviscera or the innards would fall off the carcass, literally hit the ground. Well, I think you might have just answered my next question, which is besides hot dogs, why don't we eat more offal in America? Why, why did we stop eating it? The decline came during World War II. Women were in the factories, women were working, food needed to be quicker. Offal cuts take a bit of time, they're not easy. And now we're a rich, prosperous nation and we prefer convenience. So you've said on your blog, Awful Good, that of all the awful meats, testicles are the hardest to sell. You know, they are. Well, there's two difficult cells. One is brains, mm -hmm. because everybody acts like an income poop and talks about zombies. And, and the other is testicles. You know, every guy at the table is like, oh, you know, and, and the girls make jokes about it, and I bet you can't do it. And, and then there's just people have this direct correlation to oneself and go, oh, I can't eat tongue, I have a tongue, or I have a brain, which is kind of ridiculous. Well, one way to get people to leave their meat comfort zone is to uh, disorient them a little bit. For example, you have something on your menu called duck fries. Fries is actually the butcher's term for testicles. They can be called testicles, swinging meat, fries, mountain oysters. We serve duck fries on our menu with a, like a nice thick cut of uh, smoked bacon, a little brown butter and capers and parsley. Very simple. And then you get bragging rights that you had, you know, duck balls earlier that evening. If you choose to say it that way, sure. Big balls in cow town, we log up down. Big balls in cow town, we'll dance around. Yeah. Chris Cosentino later this year opened up a Salumeria, which is a place that makes sausages, and he sells them at the ferry terminal in San Francisco. Testicles and salami. Paging Dr. <laughs> Freud. Don't shoot the messenger, man. And that's the dinner party download for this year. Yes. So many people have helped us turn this humble little show into a humble little show that people actually listen to. There's actually a staff of thousands. The Dinner Party Download is considered in the industry too big to fail, actually. <laughs> but we'll just thank a few people. We'd like to thank our researcher, Jessica Dial, the KPCC web team, and of course, John Raby and Queena Kim. You can check out their show, Off Ramp, at kpcc.org. Now, we usually leave you with a song to play on your way to or departing from this weekend's dinner party. But we couldn't resist the allure of the best song of the year list. And my pick is an instrumental band from Sweden called Detective Byron. This is from their album, Vermland, and it's a song called Om du Motorvark.
I love these guys. They sound like the soundtrack to Amelie high on Atari video games. Which could explain why it wasn't on my list, actually. Come on. <laughs> no, I'm teasing. That's a totally below-the-radar song. My song is smack dab in the middle of the radar because as far as pop songs go, it's the size of an oil tanker. It's on everyone's number one list, but it's really, I think, undeniably great. It's called White Winter Hymnal, and it's by the Fleet Foxes. Bon appetit. I was following me, I was following me, I was following the pack Galliano. I'm Brendan Francis Noonan. And normally this is the part of the show where we've been taping all night and we say something we think is funny. But actually we're taping this at 6 p.m. on New Year's Eve and there's nothing funny about this. Mm-hmm. 